0: Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources.
1: Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ross Patterson, uh, I'm in Taipei, and most of the people I've seen are my end of the world. Malaysia, Tony, we got East and West Malaysia, I think, Singapore, Japan, Nepal, and Aussie. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us through technology to listen and to hear and learn more about you and how you want us to walk. Pray for your good hand on Tony as he speaks, Lord. Commit the meeting to you in Jesus' name. Amen. From <clears> Taipei <throat> to London, over.
0: <laughs> Hi, everyone. As Ross has said, we're delighted that you've joined us today for this webinar on such an important subject. At Field Partner, we have a great passion to help those who are in any way involved in cross cultural ministry, especially away from home to find the resources that they need to thrive and keep going in their calling for the long haul. As you'll hear, Tony very much shares that passion with us. I actually feel by now, Tony doesn't really need much introduction. Even those who are hearing him today for the first time will have read the notes when signing up, so you'll know his credentials for sharing as he does. Those include his own missionary experience from, with his late wife Evelyn in Indonesia, his subsequent use of those experiences in running a training center in the north of England and his huge heart for member care expressed in various ways over the years but what i do want to do is promote his book on this same subject which um adam if you've got the picture it'd be great if you could show it um, and uh, so which i found very helpful myself when i read it a few years ago i really recommend you buy it because that'll give you the fuller version of what you're hearing today And we'd also like you to follow um, Tony on Facebook, where you will frequently be treated to some wonderful insights on the spiritual life. Um, Also in passing, I'd like to recommend Ross's daily Facebook devotionals on Field Partner International, and to invite you to browse through our Field Partner website to see what both we and our partners have to offer. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. As Ross said, there will be a QA and a session at the end, so please think of the questions you'd like to ask Tony and post them in. And many thanks to Tony, of course, for sharing his time and his wisdom with us. Welcome again, Tony, and over to you.
2: Thank you, Christine, good morning. It's uh, good morning from here anyway. It's probably evening for some of you. Um, so joy to have the opportunity to share again Uh, just briefly on uh, a topic which I think is of great relevance to all of us in Christian ministry, not just actually in cross-cultural ministry, but any form of Christian service. Uh, The title for today is Working from a Place of Rest, and uh, the subtitle is Jesus and the Key to Joyfully Sustaining Ministry. Uh, and and that is what uh, today is about. So I have a series of uh, slides for you to uh, to look at and uh, to follow uh, through. Um, if we can go to the first one, uh, Adam, uh, please. Yeah, good. So here, what uh, today is about? It's about joyfully sustaining ministry. Uh, that means keeping going uh, day by day, week by week, month by month, even year by. Uh, year. Um, my own Christian ministry has spanned almost 50 years now, and there have been lots of ups and downs in that time, and it isn't easy to keep going to the end. One of the big dangers is burnout, and as you will know, you probably know people as I know people um, who have experienced burnout. I don't criticize them for that at all. It's something that uh, that happens sometimes. It's not everybody's fault necessarily, but sometimes we become overcommitted. Sometimes uh, we don't know how to serve God, uh, and we just try our best and put everything into it, and and we end up being overwhelmed by it all. So today is about how we can avoid that kind of experience of burning out, uh, but to keep steadily moving forward. Another danger is that over the years, we become slightly cynical or jaded in what we're doing. Uh, Not everything uh, works out excitingly, as we would hope. Sometimes we are disappointed, disappointed with our friends, our colleagues, disappointed with ourselves, disappointed with God, and we can become jaded and and tired uh, over the long haul of ministry. Sometimes, in fact, over the years, we can lose our way completely. We may start off with great ideals and full of enthusiasm and zeal, but somehow temptations come our way, somehow testings and trials wear us down, and we can kind of lose our way, lose our joy completely. So today really is about ending well. It's easy to start, but it's not easy to finish, and it's not easy to finish uh, well either, this long race. As the Apostle Paul said, you know, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've run the race. Uh, That's what we're looking at today, how we can actually sustain ourselves. Well, the biggest mistake that we can make in ministry is this, working for God rather than working with God. Just a slight change of word, but a huge difference. If you are working for God, it means God has given you a job to do and left you to get on with it to the best of your ability, and you hope you're making a good uh, job of it. But you're doing it for God. All the responsibility is upon you and upon your shoulders. Actually, we should be working with God, which suggests we're working in partnership, that not only does God give us a job to do, but he invites us actually to share what he is doing. We're in partnership with him. And um, that's why uh, I want you today to think of ministry not as being something you're doing for God, but as a partnership uh, in which uh, he is the senior partner and he has simply invited you to join in. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We are God's fellow workers. That means we are joined together in partnership with God. And that's how we should view ministry, not something I am doing for God, but something God is doing and into which he invites me to join with him. Next slide, please, Adam. I want to bring you back to some... Excuse me, some words that we used probably on the last seminar that I did about self-care. They're such favorite words of mine, and they resonate with so many people since they were written by Eugene Peterson. His paraphrase of Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, This, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then listen to these words. These are the key words. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Those are the key words today to underline. Jesus invites us to walk with him. That's what discipleship is about. But to work with him, not for him, but with him and To watch how I do it. That's what we're going to do this morning by looking at John chapter 4 briefly. Then it says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When I read those words, living freely and lightly, I, I said to myself, that's what I want. I don't want always to feel this heavy weight of responsibility. I don't always want to feel that I've got this heavy weight upon me of of having to achieve so much. I want to learn to live freely and lightly, and the secret of that is to keep company with Jesus. So we're going to look this morning at John chapter 4. I'm assuming that you know the story very well. The key verse in John chapter 4 is verse 6. I'm going to assume that you know the story about Jesus meeting the woman at the well and how the conversation they had and how that led her to faith. And then she goes to the villagers and brings them to hear Jesus, and he spends time with them, and a mini revival breaks out. But I want us to watch how that happens. And uh, the key to all of that is in verse 6. It says this, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So here's some, let me point out some things from this verse. First of all, we told the place. We know that Jesus is in a village called Syca, uh, which was halfway between Jerusalem and Galilee in Samaritan country. But actually, we told that he is at Jacob's well. There's a very specific location given as to where Jesus was, Even in that small town, he's he's actually at Jacob's well. We also are given the time of day. It's about the sixth hour, which is midday. Then we know the person who this story is centered upon. That, of course, is Jesus. Jesus was there at Jacob's well at about the sixth hour. We, We have him located on planet Earth very specifically, almost with a grid reference, with a GPS location. And then we learn something about his circumstances. It says this about Jesus. He is tired from the journey. He has been walking all day and he is now tired from the journey. And then that particular moment and his activity, his action is described for us. He is sat down by the well. He has chosen to have a moment of rest, <clears throat> to be refreshed, to be renewed. He's having what we would call in English a breather. He's having a break. <clears throat> He's stopping for a moment. So Jesus is our example in everything he does. And from that key verse, and, and putting it in the context of the whole chapter. We can say three very amazing things. Number one is this that Jesus was actually doing nothing. He is sitting down by the well, he is having a rest, a breather. Second thing is this that everything that happens in this story, and its amazing story of conversion and mini revival, everything that happens happens because Jesus was doing nothing. He was just sitting by the well. And the third thing we can learn is this, that we too can watch what he does, as Peterson's paraphrase puts it, watch how I do it. We too can learn to work from a place of rest in the same way that Jesus is working here. So I want to show you this morning, and I'm briefly summarizing uh, the content of the book, Working from a Place of Rest. I want to show you the five key principles that we see as we look at this story. Number one is this. It's helpful to think of ministry as a journey. We'll come back to that. Number two, it's natural to feel tired on the journey. Number three, It's permissible to stop and rest on the journey. Number four, it's important to drink and be refreshed on the journey. And then number five, it's humbling to see God at work on the journey. There are five key principles which we can extract from this story, from the example of Jesus, and we're now going to apply them to our own journey, our own ministry journey If you like. So we'll start with the first one. The first principle is this it's helpful to think of ministry as a journey. That's a metaphor, a picture of what it's like. Jesus, we've said, was on a journey. He, He would have got up early in the morning and set out from Jerusalem, and they'd been walking for about six hours. It's the middle of the day, it's the hottest part of the day, and he sits down. They've reached Sychar uh, in the the Samaritan uh, country. They've chosen not to go around the Jordan as they often did to avoid Samaria, but Jesus has gone straight through uh, Samaria. So Jesus is on a journey, quite literally, but in the context of John's Gospel, Jesus is on a much bigger journey. He came down from heaven to earth and quite soon will return again to the Father. He will return to heaven. That's the bigger journey that Jesus is taking that will take him to the cross and through the resurrection, and then back to heaven itself. But it's helpful to think of life as a journey. We're all on the journey of life, but also the journey of discipleship of following Jesus i love the expression of eugene peterson in one of his books he calls it a long obedience in the same direction so we're starting out on this journey with jesus he calls to us and he says come and follow me and we respond with zeal with enthusiasm and we're following him step by step on this journey that for many of us will last a lifetime uh and uh, And each day we're choosing again to take up our cross and to follow him. That's the journey of discipleship. But there's another journey that we're all taking, even as we are following Jesus and doing things with him in partnership with him. There's what we can call the journey of transformation, of becoming like Jesus. And as far as our Heavenly Father is concerned, it's not so much what we are doing for God but whether or not we are becoming more like Jesus. And in fact, everything that happens in life and everything that happens in ministry, God uses those things to form us and to shape us and to make us more like Jesus. So never forget that that the journey of transformation is happening, even as you are busily serving God, and that actually It's not your service that counts so much as your willingness to be changed and to become like Jesus. So the first principle is this. Let's think of ministry. We're on a journey, and it it, it lasts over a lifetime from when we begin to follow Jesus. It includes doing things with him and for him, and it is a journey of transformation. That's the first principle. The second principle is this that it's natural to feel tired on the journey. We read earlier, didn't we, tired as he was from the journey. And here we're introduced to the real humanity of Jesus. We will be celebrating at Christmas quite soon the incarnation, the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, that Jesus left the glory of heaven, laid it all aside and took human form, and was born in the likeness of of you and I as human beings. And his humanity was real. And so we see in this story, even in John chapter 4, we see three very human things about Jesus. Number one, he's tired. Imagine Jesus just having a little yawn because he's, he's walked all morning, and it's hot, and he's tired. And then he is thirsty. He asked the woman for a drink. Jesus got dehydrated unless he drank water. That's a very human thing. And then, of course, he's hungry. The disciples have gone into the town to buy food because Jesus, like them, was hungry. He wanted something to eat. Can you imagine that his stomach might r- rumble <laughs> because he's hungry? This is the humanity. Of Jesus. And when we see the humanity of Jesus, it gives permission for us to embrace our own humanity, not to pretend that we're superhuman, not to pretend that we don't get tired, that we, we, we can continue without needing to rest. No, it says if Jesus was human, if Jesus got tired, it's okay that you sometimes feel tired. Well, In those words from Eugene Peterson, he asked those leading questions. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burnt out on religion? And sometimes the answer to all those questions is yes and yes and almost. Maybe today you feel that you are ready to drop Uh, because many of us work with great enthusiasm. We want to work as hard as we possibly can for God, and in the service of other people, we love what we do. We love the people we're with. We see the great needs all around us, and we work as hard as we possibly can. But we have limitations. We, too, are human, and we get tired. I was uh, talking to uh, some people yesterday uh, from different mission agencies, and one of those people said Describe the people in her particular organization as being exhausted. After all the difficulties of lockdown and the pandemic and the challenges that has brought to global mission, she said many of the staff, she felt they were exhausted. And many of us will know that kind of feeling of exhaustion. I came to that point in my own ministry, actually. I was working full-time, running a missions training program in my part time, we'd planted a new church, a new congregation, and I was leading that. And, and most of the time, when I went to bed at night, I was exhausted. Something inside me said, there must be a better way to live than this. This doesn't feel like the abundant life that Jesus promised. This feels like the exhausted life. And it's... It's important to recognize when we're coming to that point, Jesus says, are you tired? Well, yeah, it's okay to be tired. And normally, if you have a good night's sleep when you're tired, the next morning you wake up and you're refreshed. But if you sleep and you still feel tired, you enter that second stage when you're what we might call weary. That is, you don't have enough energy for the day which is ahead of you. So, you press on into that second stage, feeling that you're underpowered for the day, you're lacking in energy, you're weary. And if you keep on going like that, you may find yourself passing into that third stage where you experience burnout, where your whole system just shuts down because your energy has been totally depleted, you've run out of fuel and and the, the car has come to a standstill, you're ready to drop. So it's important to know some of the danger signals here. If you're continually tired, if you're feeling overwhelmed as if you can't cope, as if you're very low on energy or your energy is gone, if you feel demotivated, you don't want to do it any longer, if you're having a succession of minor illnesses, if you find yourself on a short fuse, somebody says something and, and, and suddenly you're angry or irritated, these are all danger signals to say, hang on a minute, something needs to change. And often that change is to find a different way of working, a different rhythm of life, to learn to work not for God, but to learn to work with God. So the second principle is it's natural to feel tired. Don't feel guilty about that. It's part of being human. But accepting that you are human, that you have limitations, is the way out of it as well. So we move on to principle three. Oh, wait, there's a little saying I want to show you. This is really crucial, this little saying I came across. It says this, if your output exceeds your input, then the shortfall will be your downfall. It's quite clever the way it's put. But what it means is this, you cannot keep giving out unless you take in as well. And if you keep on giving out, giving out without taking it, eventually you will collapse. Uh, it's like your bank balance. You know, you can only spend as long as you keep putting something into your bank. You cannot keep using your credit card indefinitely. Sooner or later, you will end up in, in the red and and it's like that with energy we have to we have to receive energy in order th- so that we can give it out if your output exceeds your input the shortfall will be your downfall so in the light of that principle 3 is this it's permissible to stop and rest on the journey you see what jesus gives us an example here and his example gives us permission to stop and rest sitting down and being still. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Just sit down and have a breather. Uh, when I was uh, training to be a, a young missionary, uh, the lady who was overseeing the mission home where we were, she said this to us: "The missionaries who stay longest on the field are those who have their afternoon cup of tea." Uh, well, that was a very British solution to any problem: to have an afternoon cup of tea. Uh, but what what she meant was. They give themselves permission to stop, even in the midst of a busy day. Well, that's a routine that I've continued to practice ever since I heard that. I love my morning coffee, and I love my afternoon tea. And I try not to be so busy that I can't stop for five or ten minutes in order to enjoy a little break. And Jesus here, in an example, by sitting down at the well, he gives us permission to slow down, to sit down, and to be still. But what we notice here is actually, although I said Jesus was doing nothing, he's actually doing something really important. He is connecting with his Father, and he is sensing what God is doing. He's got an awareness and an attentiveness to what's going on around him. Something else that Jesus does, we notice in the story, is that he has sent the disciples to go and get some food. He's not afraid to delegate responsibility. Some of us become overwhelmed because we can't delegate. We're afraid to delegate. Uh, we, We don't want to delegate, so we try and do everything ourselves. It's a big mistake, actually. We have to learn to delegate. You might have thought that Jesus, being servant of all, would be the one who would say to the disciples, you sit here and I'll go and get us something to eat. But Jesus doesn't do that. He asks them to go and get something to eat. He he allows himself to be served by others sometimes. And sometimes we need to delegate responsibilities. It reminds us, too, that we need to have boundaries, clear boundaries in our lives that we can learn to say no. Say no to some opportunities that would kind of push us over the edge. Say no to things when other people are just wanting to use us for their own purpose. Say no to the things that God has not called us to do. We have to have boundaries. And we also need to have margin and breathing space, which is what we call Sabbath. And that sometimes people are good at boundaries, but they're not so good at margin. They want to fill their life and their diary cram full, And then when something unexpected happens, they have nothing left over. They are kind of operating at maximum capacity. Well, we need to just hold back a little bit from maximum capacity so that we can learn to do the unexpected as well when that comes. That's one way to avoid being pushed over the edge, as it were. And, of course, Sabbath is really important that uh, we keep uh, Sabbath and we know how to rest ourselves. Sabbath is, in a sense, God's permission to stop and rest, and it reminds us that God stopped to rest on the Sabbath when he had created the world, and it reminds us also that Adam, who was created on day seven, was born into Sabbath rest. That's the origin of this expression, working from a place of rest. I want to read to you something from this uh, little book called Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee, the great Chinese Christian leader. And uh, he talks about this fact, this key principle that God worked hard for six days creating the world, and then on day seventh he stopped, he ceased to work. That was the origin of Sabbath. And uh, then uh, Adam was created. He says, but what of Adam? Where did he stand in relation to that rest of God? Adam, we are told, was created on the sixth day. Clearly then he had no part in those fixed six days of work, for he came into being only at their end. God's seventh day was, in fact, Adam's first. Whereas God worked six days and then enjoyed his Sabbath rest, Adam began life with the Sabbath. For God works before he rests, while people must first enter into God's rest, and then alone can they work. So the principle is this, that Sabbath is the foundation for our lives. Rest is the foundation for our lives. Sleep is the foundation for our life. And out of that rest, we then work, and we can work with energy and zeal, and we can sustain it because we have a foundation of rest. We do not work into rest which is often the pattern. We work, 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 and then when we can do no more, we collapse in a heap and say, I need a rest. No, that's the wrong way to work. Establish the pattern of rest and work out of that. That's principle three. Principle four, it's important to drink and be refreshed on the journey. In John chapter 4, Jesus is sitting by the well, a very famous well, Jacob's well, the well where Jacob had drunk, where Jacob had fed his animals, it was a historic site, a treasured and revered place. And Jesus asked the woman for a help. He's, for a drink. He's not afraid to ask for help. That's another key to sustaining yourself. Never be afraid to ask for help. Recognize when you are becoming exhausted, when you're beyond uh, the edge of your limits. And uh, there, there Jesus begins to speak about the water of life. He talks about the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. There, I believe, is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit is given to us to sustain us, um, to, to give life to us. And just as water is essential to our physical life, the Holy Spirit's essential to our spiritual life. And we need to come and drink. Jesus says in John 4 and verse 14, Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus will give us the water of life, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will move within us and move out from us so that ministry is the overflow of the life of God within us. In John chapter 7, later on, Jesus, at the great feast day, stood up and made a loud proclamation. He said this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Sometimes we feel that thirst in our soul. We feel that we are dry. We feel that we're exhausted. We feel we have nothing more to give. Jesus says, come to me, come to me come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You see, we are blessed to live on this side of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been given to the church And the Holy Spirit is the one who will empower us and enable us and sustain us over the long haul of ministry. But we must come on a regular basis, a daily basis, and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this river of life will begin to flow from us. It's so essential that we have this foundation that we don't just go out and do, 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 do things. But we lay this foundation in our hearts that, first of all, in our dependency upon God, we ask for the help and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Then we can go and do what God is calling us to do. So it's important to stop and drink and be refreshed. And then the last principle is this, number five. It's number five, the principle number five. It's humbling to see God at work on the journey. The whole story is what happens around the fact that Jesus is sitting by the well. He's actually doing nothing, Then the woman comes along, and he gets in conversation with her, and and she comes to faith. She goes back into the village and tells the others what's happened. They then come and see Jesus, and Jesus decides to stay two more days in that village, and he teaches them some more. And then they say, we believe now, not because you told us, because we know ourselves that this man is the Savior of the world. A mini revival has taken place, really, and all Jesus has been doing is not much, really. They haven't gone knocking door to door to try and get people to come. They're not holding a campaign or anything. He's just sitting doing nothing. He's just being himself. Why? Because the work is God the Father. This is God the Father at work. And if I can quickly just draw out some of the principles of how to work together with God that we see here. Jesus has been led by the Spirit. That day when he woke up. Uh, he, he it says in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. Normally the Jews would avoid Samaria because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They would cross over the Jordan and go up the eastern side and then come back in again, one that avoided Samaria. But that day Jesus felt a divine constraint, a divine compulsion actually to go through Samaria. He was being led by the Holy Spirit. That little nudge, that little impression uh, deep inside himself guided him as to where he should be. And because he was being led by the Spirit, all of this happened because he was in the right place at the right time. And then we see that he was open to people. Jesus wasn't a private person. Uh, he, He was in a Samaritan village, and although It was against the custom and the belief of the Jews to mix with the Samaritans. Jesus wasn't afraid to do that. And when the woman came, he wasn't afraid to talk with her either. She was a Samaritan woman, but he engaged with her in conversation. He had this great openness to people. So if you're led by the Spirit and then you're open to people, you will experience these divine encounters. When God brings something, someone across your path at just the right time so that you can have. Significant conversation with them. That's a divine encounter. You meet someone almost by chance, and yet God has prepared them for this moment and prepared you for the moment as well. And then the conversation happened because Jesus had time to spare. He, you see, he was relaxed. He was at leisure, and he could get involved in a conversation. Sometimes we are too busy with religious work to stop and even talk to people. And then he used the words of knowledge. God put words in his mind and gave him insight about this woman and her need, the fact that she'd been married five times already and now was living with somebody who wasn't her husband. Jesus knew that by divine revelation. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit, the word of knowledge. And it opened up the woman uh, to talk more deeply. And then later on in the passage, we see that he had eyes to see The opportunity, you saw the Samaritans being like a harvest field in their white gowns, just looking like a field ready to be harvested. He had eyes to see what was going on. He knew the principle of sowing and reaping, that sometimes you sow and sometimes you reap. Here was going to be a time of reaping. Here was an opportunity to be seized, to be taken hold of, seizing the moment when you sense that somebody is ready for a meaningful conversation. When God has given you an opportunity and it's right there before you, you then have to take it. You don't have to create the opportunity. God gives it to you. Here are some of the principles of working from a place of rest. It's God initiating, God leading the way, and we are responding, being led by the Spirit, being open to people, experiencing divine encounters, having time to give to others, using the knowledge that God gives us, seeing what's going on. Sometimes sowing, sometimes reaping, always taking hold of the moment. It's so humbling to see what God does. We are not doing it. God is doing it. We are just responding to what he's about. So the final thing, how to know when you are working from a place of rest? People often ask this question. It's a good question. What's the difference between working for God and working with God? Well, if you're working with God, first of all, you are rested, but you're not lazy. A friend of mine said to me once, he said, Tony, I was preparing my sermon. He's a a minister. I was preparing my sermon on Friday afternoon in my study. He said, I was so tired I fell asleep. But uh, when I woke up, I remembered what you had taught us about resting from a place of work, and I didn't feel guilty. (laughs) Well, of course, I'm not talking about resting from a place of work. It's about working from a place of rest. So we are rested, but we are not lazy. There's a big difference there. But the rest is this, that we have taken care of ourselves through our Sabbath rest, through taking little breaks every now and then, so that we are well energized, but we are not protective of ourselves. We are not lazy. We do work hard, actually. But you are rested. And you can tell people who are working in partnership with Jesus that they are rested. They're also relaxed about what's happening because they don't feel this weight of responsibility that they have to make it happen. They're not striving to get things done, they are relaxed about it because it's God's work and they're just responding to what God is doing. They also have a certain peacefulness about them they're not agitated, they're not frantic, they're not frenetic, they're not the kind of people who can never stay still, always kind of jumping, (laughs) and they're certainly not perspiring, because it's not by the sweat of your brow, it's not by your own human labor that this happens. It's actually God who is doing it, and you're partnering with him. It's less tiring and more effective when that's how you're working and operating. So, You are working hard. Hear me, we're not saying to be lazy. We're not saying to avoid uh, working hard. Sometimes I am very tired, but it's what I call a happy tiredness because I know I'm working in partnership with God and the results I can leave with him. You're working hard, but you're not doing it in your own strength. You're working with the strength that God gives you. So here's the example of Jesus, and we can learn from that. And I believe it's also the way uh, that the Apostle Paul worked. The Apostle Paul was a great laborer for the gospel. He worked very hard. But uh, he says this in, uh, in Colossians uh, chapter 1 about the way that he worked. And I believe he was working in harmony with the, the promises of God. He says this, to this end I labor, Struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You see, he was laboring, but not in his own strength. It was the energy, the life of God, the Holy Spirit within him, who gave him the power to do the work, which so powerfully works within me. Well, those are some of the principles of working from a place of rest. I hope you will get the book so that you can read it more deeply, but let's have some uh, questions um, and. um, It's so important over the long haul of ministry. See, if you don't understand this principle, you will try your very best. You will try hardest. And that seems so noble, but that's the way to burn out, really, because human energy cannot do it. It has to be that you're dependent upon God, that the life of God is coming into you and flowing out from you, that you're measured and relaxed in the way Mm -hmm. that you do things. That's how you can sustain yourself over the long haul.
1: So far, Tony, it was so perfect. All we've got from Karen is thanks. That was really
2: helpful.
1: (laughs) I mean, what do you do with perfection?
2: (laughs) Any tips on when retired or self-employed? Oh, that's my friend Rob, yes. Well, I think uh, retirement does mean a change of pace. I am retired, actually, Uh, uh, but I'm still working but I'm not working as much as I used to do. And I try to pace myself more uh, because as you get older, you have less energy. And uh, so you have to choose more what you want to do, but it doesn't mean that we have to simply sit back and enjoy ourselves. There's lots that God wants us uh, to do. And I guess it's a a mixture of things. So I think when it comes to uh, retirement, uh, we just It's a question of pace, pacing ourselves differently, having uh, more restedness in our lives, uh, giving ourselves more time to enjoy things, particularly to enjoy family and children if we have them and grandchildren, um, but also to be able to find the things that God still wants us to do even uh, in retirement. So many promises for those of us in old age that uh, we will not uh, kind of peter out, but we will still bear fruit even in old age.
1: Someone called Patterson come in with a yes. question. <laughs> I
2: can't, rem- can't imagine why she's asking this, but uh, to be stressed out and not be able to think clearly. Well, yeah, I think when that happens, and it does happen, that's the time to step back and uh, to regain perspective. I'll tell you something that happened this week for me. I I'm very busy at the moment. I'm extremely busy. I'm just about to go away tomorrow for the weekend. And then after that, I've got two weeks when I'm I'm on the road and I'm doing things and I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. So on Wednesday, I felt, well, I've done as much as I can in terms of preparation for these events. I'm going to give myself a day off. So Wednesday, I gave myself a day off. I went, um, for a, a nice walk and I found a coffee, a coffee shop and I sat and, and I had a lovely coffee and I took a book to read and I took my journal and I just journaled just for one hour. But that space uh, did a, an amazing benefit for me and it just gave me the opportunity to clear my head and to get a, a better perspective on things. So my advice would be to step back and uh, just step away, physically away from your environment. Uh, that might mean going out for a walk, it may mean going for a nice coffee, changing your environment and just being still and quiet and letting your head clear. And generally speaking, uh, that will happen. Any advice hey, if you are already, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going for that one from right, South okay. Africa. Yeah. Any advice if you already feel weary or close to burnout on how to take steps to recover from this? Well, the first thing is to ask for help and to acknowledge that that's where you are. Many people ignore that warning light and uh, press on, and that's when it can become quite dangerous. The, the further you press into burnout, the harder it is to recover, the longer it takes to recover. So as soon as you know that those dangerous signals are there, you need to act upon that. Talk to somebody about it who's responsible for you or who can guide you. Certainly seek out some help, a mentor to help you, uh, maybe uh, somebody who is a member care specialist and there are a lot of those around now. Um, tell them what's happening, talk it over and uh, see what steps can be taken. But usually the things that are needed are maybe to slow down and even to have some time off. Um, and if you haven't had a good holiday, to have a good holiday. And if a good holiday doesn't make a difference, then maybe you, you need some longer time to rest and recover. Uh, but certainly talk to someone who is a specialist.
1: Uh, one just come in, Tony. You want yeah. to tackle that
2: one? <clears throat> Tired, weary, and then burnout. How do you know that you've recovered from burnout? Are there signs? Is it possible that you never recover from burnout? Well, I think for some people it really does take a long time. Um, uh, for, for a for a time, I worked with a lady who had experienced uh, burnout. She was my PA in one of the jobs that I had, uh, and it took her two years, really, to get back to working. First of all, part time, uh, and then after she did that for a while, to working full time. Uh, But I I think her capacity was always reduced as a result of her burnout, and she did really need to be more careful than she had to be. So burnout often means reduced capacity uh, later on, and it can take a couple of years to fully recover uh, from, from burnout. So the signs that you're recovering is that you have energy again, and you're finding delight in what you do. And uh, you're excited about it and you look forward to it. When you're burnt out, you lose all of those positive aspects of work. Someone says, I feel this applies to the secular. I missed it now. It's gone. I'm just going to read it. The secular workplace as well. Uh, yeah. How do we deal with the guilt of taking time out? Uh, well, it's better to feel a bit of guilt for taking time out than actually to have uh, have the pain of suffering burnout. So uh, I think you just have to be strong about your convictions and not worry what other people think about you. Uh, If you know why you're doing it, you're taking time out so that you can sustain yourself because you need it, because it's a God-given way of processing things. There's no need to feel guilty uh, about that. Help other people to see uh, the value of it. You're not being selfish. How do we as leaders only learn this ourselves, but demonstrate this and share with volunteers? And, yep, uh, how with <clears throat> volunteers in ministry, so we're all learning to do ministry together. I really think it's important that churches have their own culture and Christian organizations have their own culture where this principle is really valued, that it's there as a foundation, that we encourage one another uh, to, to, to rest, to be rested, that we give people proper time off For many people in ministry, Sunday is not their Sabbath. They have to take it some other time. Uh, So we must, you know, um, really value people having holiday time away from ministry, encourage them to do that. And we must not try to overload ourselves, not try to do too much. Uh, Many churches try to do too much for God. That's why people uh, burn out, really. And it can happen in churches as well as organizations. How do we as leaders not only learn this... Oh, yeah, we've done that. What was the title of the Watchman Knee book, please? The title of Watchman Knee is uh, Sit, Walk, Stand. It's a very tiny book, but a real power-packed little message on the book of Ephesians, Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Knee.
1: You have one. um, Adam was working that one. Can you see that? At the bottom.
2: Oh, yes, yes. Um, I, can, I can see how do you set the boundary between the need of the ministry and your condition which needs rest, recharge. And when you say no, you feel guilty about it. Mm. Oh, I haven't got to the bottom yet. Uh, when, you, when you say no, you're saying yes to God. And, and sometimes Jesus, you, in, in the book, I've given you a lot of examples of when Jesus said no to people. It, it wasn't at everybody's beck and call. <clears throat> It's not spiritual to say yes to every invitation and yes to every possibility. Uh, there's no, no need to feel guilty about saying no, um, because sometimes it's the right thing to say. So why should you feel guilty uh, about that? As long as you're not being selfish and as long as you're not being uh, lazy. Uh, I think experiencing joy is a sign of recovery. Yeah, Adam was working from a place of rest, but then sin entered the... And w- Entered and curse and curse was work becomes hard. Even working from rest now, we often get frustrated by lack of fruit or are in situations where we have little control over our schedules. How do we follow Jesus as sinful people in this? That's a really good point and a really good question. And it, it means that it's not easy to do. And we never perfectly get hold of this principle and we have to keep coming back to it because the world and even the church is against us. We're flowing against the current of things when we try to operate in the way that God did. And even with flowing against our own internal motivators as well. We like to be people pleasers so we like to be well thought of. We want to be, achieve and make a mark and so on. So we're going against all of that as well. Um, uh, so it isn't easy to do it, but we have to ask God's help for it and to recognize that this is the way that he has ordained that we should do it. Could you speak for a moment about finding rest in transition, especially re-entry transition? Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm reading about re-entry. speak of the challenge of moving from a schedule that may be reasonably full. to Yes. To one that is, yes, well, um, I think, uh, uh, Alan, it's really important in transition to be able to rest and not to rush into things uh, because the pressure is to fill up the vacuum that is left when we leave one thing behind and have not yet taken up the other things. It's, the pressure is to rush into that. But really, transition can give you a gift uh, of time and space to think, to recalibrate to reset uh, your agenda uh, for the future. Um, so I, I think it, to see it as a, a gift uh, and not try to rush through the process of uh, re-entry. Um,
1: Tony, uh, Tony, there's one here from Malaysia, so that's important to you. Right, okay. Any difference in the way, either an extrovert or an introvert steps back or slows down to reflect, recover yeah. and be renewed?
2: Yes. Uh, well, um, uh, introverts instinctively know that they need time and space, uh, but the culture of their organization might push them to do more than they are comfortable with doing, and so they may feel guilty about it. And people have mentioned this thing about being feeling guilty, and introverts often feel guilty because they know they need time alone, and yet it's going contrary to what other people can do. Um, So that's the the difficulty for the introvert, but introverts do need uh, downtime. Extroverts also need downtime, uh, but can sometimes still feel re-energized by being with people or by doing something active. So it's not about kind of sitting and contemplating necessarily for extroverts. They like to do some activity, just something very different to what they normally do that is non-work really. Um, so uh, extroverts find it harder, uh, I'm sure, but, uh, but once they begin to see the value of it, then, then they can um, really enjoy it. But they will do it in a different way to an introvert who may just want to be still and read a book and hide away. An extrovert may want to be with some other people, uh, not work-related people, and do things which are active, but which are not classified as work.
1: Um, There's a commercial question, Uh, is your book available on Kindle or Amazon or whatever?
2: It it should be available on uh, Kindle, it should be, yeah, and it's certainly available on uh, Amazon, certainly available on Amazon, yeah.
1: And here's a provocative question from, uh, sounds like Malaysia or Singapore, it sounds like to enter that rest, we have to try hard.
2: (laughs) Well isn't that what uh, the apostle uh, isn't that what Hebrews says let us strive to enter the rest of god and yeah. and it is true uh, because you are you're not passive in it there's something for you to do so it's, it isn't about being passive it's not being resigning yourself it's actually i am taking these steps i am actually involved i am planning for sabbath i am taking time out I am doing, I am, I'm engaged in this. So yeah, scripture says, let us strive to enter that rest. There is something for us to do as part of the process. It's not about being passive. It's not passivity uh, we are talking about.
1: Now there's a question from my wife again about what part does culture play in this?
2: yeah last time some of our asian guests spoke about how hard it can be in collective cultures to step away from the the group and uh, and the work yes i remember asking a, an african pastor about this uh, because he he said that uh, you know whenever he is at home in the village people would come and knock and it w- it would be so wrong to refuse them admission and he needed to see people so uh, uh, like many uh, African people, he had a little farm somewhere. And when it was his day off, he would escape to the farm. And then when he was somewhere else, uh, people couldn't get him. So he went somewhere else. That was uh, his, uh, uh, his uh, answer to that. And I think that's what Jesus, did. Jesus withdrew, didn't he? He went up to the mountains to pray. He walked, got up early and went by the, the, the shore of the lake. So Jesus lived in a culture that was like that where people, the crowds were always pressing in upon him, and he, he escaped. He, he found places to go to. And I think that's what uh, we have to do, uh, not to be afraid, actually to, to step away. Uh, we have to be countercultural sometimes. And, and every culture has its strengths and its weaknesses. And we have to recognize where our culture may help us in our walk with God or where our culture may hinder our walk with God. And if it's hindering our walk with God, then we have to be countercultural. We have to choose to live in God's way, uh, uh, kingdom-style living.
1: Okay, Tony, I think we better begin to wind it down. Um, Okay. Somebody has posted on the chat line where you you can get Tony's book. Thank you for that. Um, So Tony, while you're talking about rest, I think of a really close friend of mine, a um, Romanian pastor, and God told him to rest. (laughs) He said, Lord, that's boring. (laughs) So the Lord gave him an activity, actually. Yes, he in Romania, got one of these metal detectors and began yes. to search for the yes. Roman yes. Um, encampments and has found so much stuff that there's a oh. room in the local museum just for him. Oh. So, <laughs> so not all of us, I guess, have booked no. a couple of people.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly... And I've got a metal detector, but I've never found anything, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm still Tony, looking for my... Tony, thank you
1: so much for being with us. Um, We're going to pray for you now, and then we'll close the formal part. But on behalf of everybody, thank you so much. Father, thank you for my brother. Thank you that you've forged a precious servant out of many fires, really. Mm. And what Tony says is not theory, it's experience. Mm. And Father, we just ask for your good hand on our brother's life going away for the weekend would you sit him down refresh him equip him and anoint him for this weekend and for what's to come after that we pray pray for everyone of us listening help us to hear the important things you want to say to each of us we pray in jesus name amen
0: thank you for listening to this podcast from field partner you can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel our youtube channel or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons and other resources, visit our website fieldpartner.org